If you would open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 9. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. I know you don't want to hear it from me, you want to hear it from your kids, and I'm sure that they'll, if they haven't already, they will bless you today, at least today. <laughs> Guys, I want to encourage you to be praying for Marissa Bloss. Um, she's been in the hospital for a week, and she's not doing well, and we just really need to hold her up in prayer. Um, I talked to Ernie last night and yesterday, and um, anyway, they just, they really need our prayers. I don't know if you know that Marissa and her mother both have this condition that they were born with that really makes things like they're dealing with right now that much more serious. And so, in fact, let's pray for them. Father, we pray, we pray for the dads. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless them. Being a dad, being a parent is a difficult thing sometimes where we just pray for your strength, for your wisdom to be the men that you've called us to be. We do pray for the Bloss family, Lord. We pray for Ernie and Teresa. We ask for mom and dad, Lord, that you'd give them strength beyond their themselves. We pray, Father, that you'd give them wisdom and decision-making. And we pray, Lord, for Marissa. We ask, Lord, that you would touch her and heal her and raise her up. We pray that today would be a turning point for the good in her life and her health. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. We also pray, Lord, as we open your word and continue our study through the Gospel of Mark, that you would give us insight and understanding and application to apply to our own lives as your disciples. So thank you, Lord, in advance. We thank you for giving us even the ability to worship you, Lord. We might not all like the same style, but hopefully we're all entering in and worshiping the same Lord because you're surely worthy of all worship and praise. So we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 9 of Mark, beginning in verse 14, it says, And when he, the he there is Jesus, came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son, who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. They brought the boy, the man, to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, immediately... The spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And he asked the father, how long has, has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often, he gives more description of what takes place, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. 
But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Lord, we pray, teach us. You know, guys, um, we have another desperate father. Let me remind you that last week, so chronologically, last week we saw Peter, James, and John. Those three, Peter, James, and John, they're called by Jesus to go to a place that they didn't know. You know, they they go up on a mountain. They go up on a mountain. Uh, Jesus is transfigured. And so they're able to see Jesus in his pre-incarnate. So that's, you know, before he came in flesh, his pre-incarnate glory. And so they're seeing Jesus in his glory as he is in heaven. And they see Elijah and Moses. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing Uh, the prophets, and so you have these three, and then you have the three disciples. They're witnessing this whole thing. And we looked at that last week, and we saw that as uh, all this was happening, then you had the seventh that appeared. You had God the Father. God the Father, uh, he doesn't appear in person, but his voice is heard, and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And then uh, the other two disappeared. They you know, we're no longer there, and it was only Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus, and so there they were. And as they began to come down the mountain, um, Jesus told them that they weren't supposed to say anything about what they had seen until after the resurrection from the dead, after his resurrection from the dead. And so I want you to kind of remember that. I want you to picture this. You have you have three of the disciples. They've had a a genuine mountain-type experience with Jesus. They saw things that no one else had seen. They heard things that no one else had heard. They experienced something that was unique to them. They're coming down the mountain. They have secrets in their heart that they cannot speak about. They can't talk about these things. They can't talk about these things until after Jesus is resurrected. I almost imagine when Jesus was resurrected and all of a sudden all the pieces began to fit into place, if Peter, James, and John, if one of them perhaps said, you know, we knew about this. So we knew that Jesus was going to res- be resurrected from the dead, you know. Jesus told us this. In fact, let us tell you a secret. When we went with Jesus on the mountain, let me tell you what happened. And I imagine the other nine or eight, I guess at that point, uh, listening with their jaws hanging loose, you know, and saying, wow, that's amazing, you know. And maybe asking, so, so Jesus said to you not to say anything to us about these things that you saw until after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Yep, that's right. And they might have asked, did you understand what Jesus meant when he says, after I'm resurrected from the dead? And the three would probably look at each other and say, we didn't have a clue. We had no idea what he was talking about. Because that's what we saw last week. They did not understand what he meant by being resurrected from the dead. And so you have the three, they're floating down the mountain after this wonderful experience. And you have the nine, they're there, and they're being accosted by the scribes. There's an issue. They're frazzled, they're frustrated. They're probably wondering, where did those guys go? Where's Jesus? If we ever needed Jesus, we need him now, because we're, we're drowning here, you know, and, and all these people are coming against us and everything, and and, and the Lord gave us authority to do something that obviously we haven't been able to do. And they were no doubt frustrated. I kind of liken it to 
when your wife or your husband goes to a men's retreat or a women's retreat, and then they come home and they're floating, you know, because it's been such a glorious time away, and they come home and for the dads, you know, maybe they come home and your wife, the mother of your children is absolutely, they're frazzled because it has not been a retreat for them. It's just been a double load of work, you know, for them. And I kind of imagine that. Guys, we have another desperate father. I can't help but think of the Syrophoenician woman. The Syrophoenician woman, she's a Canaanite woman. She comes to Jesus. We saw this a number of weeks ago. She comes to Jesus. She has great concern for her daughter. Her daughter is severely demon-possessed. And so she says, Lord, please have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And you guys remember the account. Jesus says it's not proper. It's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. And she says, Lord, I don't want the children's bread. I'll just take the crumbs because I believe, I have the faith that even the crumbs that fall from the children's table, the crumbs that that fall from from your hand are sufficient to deliver my daughter from her demon possession. I think of Jairus. Jairus, he comes to Jesus. He's a synagogue ruler. He comes to Jesus. I mean, time is the essence. My daughter is sick. She's sick unto death. Please hurry. Hurry. And Jesus agrees to come with him. And you think, you know, happy days, you know. I've seen, I've heard what he could do, and he's coming with me, and everything's great. And then you have the interruption. And I don't doubt that that man, that father, that desperate father, Jairus, was probably so frustrated with that woman. It might have been a moment in his heart where he actually hated that woman. I can't believe that she's interrupting. I mean, does she even understand how urgent this is? And to be honest, I don't think she cared because she had her own urgent need. The same time that this little girl was alive, 12 years, she had a hemorrhaging issue. And you guys know that story. We looked at that a number of weeks ago as well. Jesus heals the woman, and then he's ready to go on with Jairus. And then came the news. Let me, let me read to you. Well, I should have marked it in my Bible here. I'm trying to remember what account would be best to read. Remember, <clears throat> well, I'll just tell you what it said. Because I don't know, I, I had all my markings and I, I changed them before I came out. But there were those that came from the synagogue's ruler's home. And they said, why trouble, the word is harass, why trouble, why harass the teacher any longer? Your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. I'll tell you, um, the hopelessness when, when things like that happen, you know, we, we have not, thank you, Lord, we have, we have not experienced that, the loss of a child. I think that that would surpass the loss of any other. You know, guys, we, we have parents. We expect them to get old and die. You know, we ourselves, we, we get older and we die. We get sick and we die. But when it's a child, it is so devastating because it just kind of, it's like an assault upon the mind and the emotions because we think they should not die before, before I die, before we die. 
And of course, Jesus encouraged, encouraged Jairus' um, uh, father and said, you know, just believe, just believe. And they went to the house, and of course, he raised the daughter from the dead. And so I think of this man, he is, he is concerned for his son. His son is in a desperate situation, and he's been in this, this state since he was a child. So that tells us that he wasn't a child any longer. We don't know how old he was. But the Spirit doesn't allow him to speak. So he's, he's mute. He can't speak. So he can't communicate. And then from time to time, the Spirit seizes him. And when the Spirit seizes him, he falls on the ground. He wallows on the ground. He foams at the mouth. He's rigid. And you read that and you might say, oh, he had epilepsy. That's what it was. Well, the Bible would tell us if he had epilepsy. The Bible tells us that he had a mute, a deaf and dumb, mute, you know, uh, spirit. He had a demon. He was demon-possessed. I think of how today, you know, we, we live in a time where it seems like there's an uptick of um, demon-possessed people. I, I think it's interesting when you are studying the Old Testament. Can you think of a reference to demon-possessed people? In the Old Testament, I can't think of any. Maybe I'm just missing something, but I, I don't remember ever reading about demon-possessed people in the Old Testament, though we know that they worshipped demons. I mean, all of the pagan worship, all of the things that they did, you think of how, you know, even the children of Israel who knew better, Yahweh was their God, and yet they they stooped to worship Moloch and and. Uh, you know, Shamash and all these other, you know, lesser, these deities that were really demons. They would offer their children on the fires and all of these hideous things. And you can just imagine how demonic that was. But we just don't, we just don't see demon possession really in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it seems like, it seems like there's a demon everywhere. Every town that they go into, someone's struggling with demon possession. And, and of course, the demon's going to manifest itself in different ways. Remember the fellow who had the legion of demons, and uh, he would cut himself, and he lived among the dead, the tombs, and he would cry out, and the people of that region would try to bind him with shackles on his wrist and on his uh, ankles, and he would break them, and he had like a supernatural strength. And so we look at demon possession. Why was there so many accounts even in the, the few that we have, there's many accounts in the gospel accounts of demon-possessed people during the time of Christ. And I wonder if it's because Jesus was on the scene. And I wonder, why is it that we seem to see an uptick of demon possession today? Could it be because Jesus is coming back for his church and time is short and whatever they know, they, they, they know that their time is short? You know, you might say, oh, Dan, that's your opinion. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's my opinion. But I think that there are many today that we look at and we would say, well, oh, that person is mentally ill. Uh, why do you say that? Well, because they're, um, they're gnashing their teeth. They're foaming from the mouth. Uh, they're, they're, they're acting bizarre. It's mental illness. That's the problem, you know. Uh, take a mentally, uh, or take a demon-possessed person to a doctor and they'll be prescribed medication. Is a medication going to help the demon-possessed person? I say not. Um, 
we, we look at people because of drugs, you know, some of the drugs, you think of the drugs that are on the street. You know, I, I grew up in the, you know, late 60s, 70s as a, you know, kind of a teenager. And I'll tell you, the drugs that are on the scene today, these drugs that kill people immediately, this fentanyl and all these different things. We, had a, we have a brother in the church and his, his, his sister died that way. And it was just so tragic, you know, and so fast and so, just so horrible. But we have these things, and they make people absolutely insane. And we live in a culture and a time where, you know, uh, let's make LSD legalized, or not LSD, let's make marijuana <laughs> legalized so that, you know, it's medicine. I mean, you, you kind of sell a bill of goods for a while, it's medicine, and then eventually, you know, people, culture can't even cope without marijuana, you know. And I think of how crazy it is. Even though we know that for some, marijuana leads to some really strange behavior. It's not just getting mellow. For some, they go, they go cuckoo. How about the synthetic drugs, you know? Well, they're safe. It's not marijuana. You could buy it in a, a smoke shop or a, you know, what's that K, that place down here, KD or whatever it's called, uh, market and uh, the synthetic marijuana, and so you smoke that, and people are absolutely going out of their minds on the synthetic garbage. And then, of course, in places like the great Northwest, we, we want to legalize uh, uh, mushrooms because uh, have you ever seen anyone under the influence of mushrooms? We have. I wish we hadn't. But it's horrific. The behavior is demonic. The words that come out of their mouth are demonic. It's almost as if they're speaking a language that they do not know. And it's not tongues. It's not from the Spirit of God. It comes from another source. And yet this is the culture in which we live in. And I think of this man, his son. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, mentally ill. He, he, he didn't have epilepsy. He was, he was demon-possessed. And the demon was taking control and had control over his life for quite some time. And it caused the man, the father, to ask the question, look at verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. See, Jesus says, oh, faithless generation. And, and, and the man his faith was waning because, now listen, guys, why would he bring his son to Jesus if he didn't believe that Jesus had the power and authority to cast out the demon? It wouldn't make any sense. Of course he believed that. But because he brought his son to Jesus and Jesus was not there, he was not available, and so he asked the disciples of Jesus to cast out the demon. By the way, Christ had given them the authority to cast out demons. Remember we saw that earlier on? In Mark chapter 6 and verse 7. So they had already done this. The disciples, they had already gone out two by two and they'd cast out demons. And in fact, they came back and they were impressed by the fact that even the demons listened to us. We have authority, Lord. And he goes, yeah, in me, you have authority, you know. But in this case, they failed. In this case, they couldn't do it. And so it caused this father who obviously believed that Jesus could do it, it caused this father, because of the failure of the disciples, 
to begin to wonder if Jesus could really do anything. And I'll tell you guys, we owe it to each other to be true followers of Jesus. If, you're, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you know, there's no expectations of you. But if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, you owe it. You say, I don't like that. I don't want to owe anything. You owe to your brothers and sisters in Christ to walk in love. And walking in love means you're not going to do anything that might cause your weaker brother or sister to stumble in their walk with Jesus. You owe it to them. That is a debt that you'll never pay until you're home in heaven. You say, I don't like that. I don't like, and we don't like that because we are independent. And I answer to no one but one God. And I live my life as a rebel the way I choose to. But that's not biblical. That's not biblical. We owe it to each other to walk in love. You know, I think of the examples that, that Paul gave in Romans and, and uh, you know, other locations. Galatians, he touches on it. And, of course, we have the description of agape love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I just think of uh, that responsibility to walk in this love. By the way, it's not our love. It's God's love. And so if we're walking in the Spirit, then the manifestation of the Spirit will be the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. You say, oh, you missed all those other ones. Well, I think I, I'm including all those other ones, but I think they're all under the umbrella of love. And, and I think of the example that the Apostle Paul gave, that, that he said, I won't even eat meat if it causes my weaker brother to stumble. And we look at that and say, how would meat cause my weaker brother to stumble? And it's because of the culture at that time. So much of the meat was offered to idols. And so Paul, though he could eat meat with a clear conscience and say, this means nothing to me. I don't care if it was offered to an idol or not. But if it causes my brother to stumble, because for them, their faith is weak. And they say, Paul, how could you eat this meat that was offered to an idol? He says, I won't eat meat. See, that's love. And I think of our culture today, and I think of our Christian culture today, that refuse to say no to the flesh because our flesh is more important to us than our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this father, he was desperate. What was the mom? We don't know. Isn't it funny how much we don't know as you read the scriptures and as you read the different biblical accounts? There's so much we don't know. We do know that this was his only son, not from Mark, but from Luke. We do know that this happened the day after the transfiguration from Luke, not Mark. They must have been up there all day and spent the night up there. And then they came down when all of this was taking place. The father, he's concerned for his son, so he does what he could do. You know, my dad um, did not know the Lord, did not serve the Lord. And I have a lot of regrets, my relationship with my father as an adult. Though I will say, and I've said it quite often, that my father, uh, I mean, there were many things that would not be a good uh, uh, trait to, or, or examples to follow. But my father worked 
an honest day. He made a good living. He brought home the full paycheck. He didn't stop off at the casinos and, you know, try to, you know. I mean, there were a lot of things he did. When I was growing up, I knew because my father modeled it. He never said it. My dad never said what he was doing. He never, he never sang his own praise. He just modeled it. And I knew growing up that to my father, his children and his wife come first. Meaning, if, he, if, if there wasn't enough to go around, if, if, if someone had to sacrifice, he was going to sacrifice that. Now, once the kids were out of the house, then, you know, it was kind of fun to watch dad get all these toys that he said no to when he was, you know, raising kids. You know, those killer Honda three-wheelers, you know. <laughs> we had those when I was growing up. I was just showing the kids that, and they, they, some of the older grandkids were reading it and said, Papa, they make it sound like this is a, you know, it's like dangerous. It's like a weapon. I said, they outlawed these things, you know. And they said, Papa, you guys had these? And I said, we had three of these in our garage. And they were fun until they kept giving more and more CCs, you know, and made it a death trap because you're not supposed to move that fast on three bouncy <laughs> tires, you know. But anyway, my dad modeled some good things. And I think of this father, you know, we don't know how much his son was able to comprehend. He's unable to speak. He's unable to communicate. He's unable to ask his father, please help me or, or whatever. Get help for me. I'm, I'm tormented here. But we know that his father cared for his son, and he did whatever he could for the sake of his son. And I'll tell you, if you're a dad or a mom, you need to put your children first. I mean, second to the Lord. You understand what I mean. The Lord, your relationship with the Lord needs to come first, but you need to put your children first. It's your responsibility. You brought them into the world. You know we hear these things. But you brought them into the world. They didn't ask to come in here. And I think of, and we're going to see it in a few weeks, when Jesus makes this stern statement, if anyone causes one of these little ones of mine to stumble. And I think the world that we live in that's so corrupt and it's causing little ones, it's causing children to stumble on purpose. They're doing this. And I just, you know, I, I, I can imagine what judgment is going to come against these teachers and people in authority that are doing these things that are so hideous. But as a father, as a mother, you need to put your children first. Now, for most of us, you know, the Bible talks about a time where natural affections will diminish. And I think we're living in those times. Um, I was, I had Lucy, my, one of my granddaughters, and we were coming into town, had to run some errands, and we we're kind of going out. And we're kind of out where there's, you know, there's not a lot of homes. And we saw these two little girls walking hand in hand, and I, I saw them, and my heart sunk. And then I just kept looking around, looking around, looking around for a parent or an adult. And I didn't see one. And there they were, walking. And I just, you know, and now, as a guy, I, I felt, you know, it's like, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to stop. Little girls, are you okay? You know, because there could be a mom watching or whatever. But I just thought, what they weren't even like five years old, like three years old, four years old, little dinky little girls. 
And I thought, where are the parents? They had little bags in their hand. And I thought, I, in my mind, in my imagination, I was wondering, mom or dad saying, here, go pick some blackberries down the street. And I think, maybe in another time. Maybe at another time, but not today. Not today. But I think of fathers and mothers that put themselves first rather than their children. I need a break. I can't make it without fill in the blank. And it's shameful, especially if you're a child of God. Listen, again, if you're not a believer, there are no expectations of you. I mean, there should be on a human level, but the expectations are low. But as a child of God, with the Spirit of God, we should put our children first. This fellow, he intercedes just like the uh, the Syrophoenician woman did for her daughter, just as Jairus did, just as many others that we see in the scripture. You have a parent. If you're, as a parent, if you're not interceding for your child, you say, well, I don't have a demon-possessed child. I hope not. But maybe you have a child that's not born again, and they're going to hell. And as a parent, if you're not interceding for them with fervent prayers, who is? There's no one, and this is going to sound like a prideful statement, but there is no one who prayed more fervently for Tracy and my kids, some of them, when they were going astray, than Tracy and I. And frankly, we didn't expect anyone else to pray more fervently than we were praying for our own kids. They're our kids. And I just think of this fellow, this man. I, I, I admire him. I, I don't know. We don't know anything about him, but we do know that he brings his son and he needs help. And now he's doubting if, if, you, can do, if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. Again, we see this. It's not just him. It's just, you know, my kid, he's on his own now. He's an adult. He'll do what he needs to do. What parent does that? Maybe I'm the odd one. Maybe my wife is the odd one. You know, we're in our 60s. We have adult children. And we, and we still, we don't treat them like little children. But our prayers are so fervent for our kids because we want them to walk with the Lord. And if, if, if one is is not walking as they should be walking, man, we just, we just kind of turn up the prayer meter. We're praying for them. Lord, please rescue them, Lord. Please, please save them, Lord. Please. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Can you identify with that? I can. I pray this prayer all the time. I always, I find myself praying this prayer all the time. Lord, I believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief, Lord. You know, we so easily make these, these great, uh, you know, proclamations of great faith, you know. And, and I think that we believe them as we're saying them. And I think that we can have great faith faith for other people I know that the Lord will come through hang in there God is with you God will get you through this and we have great faith for them but then when we find ourselves in a place where our where, where we're just scared to death I think of the Bloss family again 
as they're looking at their daughter. You know, their daughter is the same age as our youngest daughter. But of course, her ability mentally is very low. So I, I think of how if, if we were in a situation and we were trying to reason with our, our daughter, our youngest daughter, she would be able to comprehend and she'd maybe be able to communicate a little bit better. But Marissa doesn't have that. And I just, I think of her and we're, we're praying for her peace, but I pray for mom and dad because they're the ones that feel the pain. Lord, please calm her. Please be with her. You know, I've known Ernie for probably 30 years. And uh, that man loves his girls. He loves his wife and he loves his daughter and he cares for them. And I, I don't want to embarrass him, but I'll tell you there's been many times when I've prayed with him, when he's prayed with us, when he's been dealing with health issues, and the greatest weight on his shoulders, the greatest concern is not for himself, but if something happens to me, Lord, what about Teresa? What about Marissa? I admire that because that's how a man should be. They're my responsibility, Lord. Who's going to take care of them if I'm not here? Jesus, he, <laughs> he meets this man, he meets his son right where he's at, verse 25. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, Deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out. And he became as one dead so that many said, he's dead. I wonder what mocking there might have been. You brought your child to him, and he killed him. <laughs> you say, oh, Dan, why do you read into that? You know, guys, listen, can I, I tell you, I, I made a statement earlier that uh, demon possession is on an uptick. Um, you know, as non-Roman Catholics, um, exorcisms and stuff like that, it's not something that we deal with on a regular basis. As a pastor, we kind of prayed at different times for people that seemed to be uh, demon-possessed or surely oppressed, and we've done that. To I've never done an exorcism or anything like that. But you know the Roman Catholics have, and they've always have. And I read just last week that the Roman Catholic Church are recruiting exorcists because of the uptick of demon possession in the world, especially, the article went on to say, in Ireland. Ireland? You think maybe Africa, some dark jungle or something like that, we might do it. No, in Ireland. And, and, and I just think it's interesting that we're watching this happening. You say, Dan, you know, you read into, why would people mock? Because we have the scriptures and we see that people mock Jesus at every turn. And so Jesus, verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And it just kind of, it just kind of ends there. 
When you read the scriptures, do you kind of think, I, I'd like to put myself in the, in the pages of the scripture. I'd like to think, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a man. I have emotions. I know what I feel. I've, I've despaired of many things. I've, I've been frightened. We've had, we've had uh, our oldest son was a severe uh, asthmatic and uh, uh, asthma. And uh, there were a number of times that we were in the hospital with Joshua as a little guy. And, uh, you know, the IVs and the, you know, in the little tent thing. And they'd come in and they'd do the treatment. And I remember one nurse came in and she said to us, she said, Mom and Dad, your little guy, look at his little chest. He's really laboring to breathe. She says, it would be like you taking a straw and pinching it and trying to breathe through it. It's, it's hard for him. And I remember many times being in the hospital with Josh and just fearing, you know. I think of being, you know, of course, with Nehemiah, you know, when he was in the hospital and little guys born with two aortas and one of them is literally suffocating him. In the days, you know, that he's been alive, he's only like three weeks old, two weeks old, and he's in the hospital and he's having major surgery and, and uh, heart surgery and and I remember as all of that was happening, we're just looking at this little guy and wondering, is he going to survive? I mean, it's just you almost feel like you're numb. Some of you have gone through worse than that. Some of you have gone through death. And my heart goes out to you of children. And we've had people in the church. It's an emotional thing, you know. Tracy and I and Marielle, we just did a, a funeral in Coopville at the, the cemetery there. And... And uh, whenever we go there, we, we always kind of, as we're driving through, we say, oh, so-and-so's buried there, and so-and-so's buried there, and so because we've done a number of funerals, grave sites. And one of those that we point to is a little girl that her parents went to this church, and we were with mom and dad when their daughter died. And it was the most hollow, horrible, you know, what do you say? And yet the Lord, you know, and the Lord doesn't do this to me very often, but he spoke to my heart as we we're going down to the hospital in Tacoma. And as we're driving through Deception Pass through the trees there, I felt like the Lord just said, she's not going to survive. She's going to die. And I turned to Tracy and I said, I don't know if this is the Lord or not, but this is, what I just received. She goes, oh, don't even think such a thing. I said, I'm not thinking it. I'm just, and I, unbeknownst to us, the Lord was preparing us for that night. You know, guys, I, I, I wish, I wish that I could say that every sickness will end in a healing, but they don't always. And some of you know that firsthand but if you're a believer, isn't it wonderful to think of being in the presence of the Lord and seeing your loved one that was a believer in the presence of the Lord? We've been thinking about that a lot. You know, um, Tracy's dad went home to be with Jesus a few weeks ago, and, uh, you know, he was just really declining and uh, mentally and the last few times Tracy would go down to visit her dad, he didn't know who she was, really. And uh, we were praying, Lord, 
please take him home. Because we knew he knew Jesus, you know, take him home. But we, we don't want him, you know, Lord, your will be done. But we don't want him to be like so many that just go on year after year after year. And they have no understanding of who their family is. And, but anyway, when we heard, you know, that he had gone home to be with the Lord, the first thing I thought of was he, uh, there in heaven, seeing his bride for all those years, and I just pictured him saying to her, her name was Joan, and he would call her Joni Baloney. And I just pictured him saying, hi, Joni Baloney, you know, in their perfect bodies, sound minds, and everything else. Guys, that's not pie in the sky hope. That's Bible. That's Bible. So we have a hope beyond this world. That's why we, we, don't, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We have hope in the Lord. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up. I didn't think I was going to go this long. I was going to try to get you out early to have hot dogs. But, um, in fact, you guys come on up. You know what, guys? Dads. What you think of your sons and daughters means so much. Your interaction with your sons and daughters means so much. I can't emphasize that enough because moms, in most cases, and maybe there are some rare occasions where it's not this way, but moms are just kind of, they're steady. They're faithful. You know, um, mom's always going to be there. Mom, you know, mom will take more, <laughs> more verbal abuse than anyone else in the family, you know, because she's just so long-suffering. And, and I watched my wife, even now, with her adult children. It's not that her kids could do no harm, but she's, she just she loves her kids. And she just chooses to believe the best in her children. She's not naive, but she, she's there. And sometimes dads, you know, sometimes we come off a little harsh and a little rough and gruff. And, 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 and you know what I find? I, I think that... I think that it's a, an amazing thing when, when you find out, and sometimes you don't find out except through your spouse, your wife, how much your, your children think of your love for them. You know, I tried to model to my daughters, we have three of them, um, what a, you know, I, I'm talking about myself, so it's hard to even say it, but a, a man who follows Jesus looks like. And uh, wanted to set an example for them. I wanted to set an example to my boys on, you know, how we should treat our, our wife and how we should care for them. And, and uh, it's not this, you know, miserable task that we have to go out and work. This is what we do. This is what we're called to do, you know. Do it, man. Be the man, you know. And, uh, boy, if your wife can stay home, and be with the children, praise the Lord. Count yourself a blessed man because you are a blessed man. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we pray that as we, those who have children, maybe they're not here, they'll receive phone calls or whatever, but I just pray that you'd bless every man, but I also pray that you'd bless every woman, and I pray that you would strengthen every parent in this place, Lord.
and that we'd be men and women who seek you first and foremost and, and get our strength from you and our wisdom from your word. And we pray, Father, that if we've kind of gotten to the end of our rope and maybe we've felt in our heart that we wanted to give up on this kid because they're so rebellious or they're just doing the same old thing over and over again, that we would renew our love and our hope and our fervent prayers for them, that we'd never, ever give up. That long, as long as we're parents, as, as long as parents are alive, that the parent would be the most passionate, fervent prayer warrior for their children. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.